welcome to a very thoughtful episode of EM Over Easy. I am joined by my two great co-hosts, Drew and Andy, as well as one of our new team members, Trish Capone. How's it going? Going good. She panicked for a second there, having to talk to the mic. <laughs> a little panic. A little panic. We're doing okay. Trish, we're really happy to have you. Thanks for joining us today and looking Thanks forward for to me. you being on the team. Yeah, absolutely. So today's, I think, going to be a fun exercise in, in uh, a little bit of thoughtfulness and also hopefully uh, some, some good action items for people to use to help them uh, in, in the future of, with both their lives and working in the emergency department. So, uh, fellas and lady, how about we start off with a little bit of a thought exercise here? So I'm going to read a quote, and I want you guys to just give me your thoughts what you feel about it. The quote is, we suffer not from the events in our lives, but from our judgment about them. The quote is from Epictetus. Epictetus, sorry. I thought for a minute that this was somebody with epididymitis that wrote a quote about stoicism. Nope, we are not talking about testicles today. <laughs> so I really like this quote. I use this a lot not knowing that it was tied to stoicism with my kids where whenever like my son or my older daughter come and they complain to me about something at school or on a team or with a friend they're like oh well, I'm just in such a bad mood because of this and I usually I don't use this kind of thing and I'm like well it's the whole it's the whole you, it sucks that they did that to you what can you control on the matter and it's always you can control the way you react to the way that they treated you yeah, it goes back to the talk we did about E plus R equals O, right? So you can't you can't control the event but you can control your reaction to it and your reaction to it is what will impact the outcome, maybe not completely seed or control the outcome. And where I think we're going to go a lot with stoicism is essentially how to implement your reaction to things and how to make sure that you have good reactions to it. It's a lot of what stoicism ultimately is going to get to with this talk. And I think that quote summarizes it great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was one of the big things that I took away from that, that other podcast we did on the E plus R equals O is it's very, very similar concept. So... It, for me, part of the reason I want to talk about this with everyone is stoicism over the last few years has become a big interest of mine. And the reason I like it is because it it sounds personally to me like the example of the epitome of that calm, collected, balanced, super cool ER doc. And that's what I try to be on shift is, is that guy that who's going to be balanced, not going to take things to the extreme and, and really just do the appropriate thing at the appropriate time. I, over the last few years, I've gotten a little more into this, started reading a little more in, and I think it's going to be a, a fun topic to talk about. So first off, let's talk with a little history lesson. I know, Drew. I love history. Yep, there it is. Stoicism actually originated from a long time ago. Uh, there's a, a man named Zeno of Cyprus. I love who, that name, by the way. Zeno. Sorry. I, I thought it was pretty cool, too. Yeah. My third child's going to be named Zeno, except for the fact that not gonna there will not be a third child. <laughs> And so we're, we're picture ourselves in Athens around 300 BC. And essentially what happened is Zeno is a, a very successful merchant um, doing a ship thing, transporting stuff across the water. And one time he had a bad accident and crashed, right? Wrecked everything, lost everything. So a man who had everything all of a sudden has nothing. He ends up walking the rest of the way on land to Athens. And what would be the first thing you guys would do if you had just lost everything in your entire life? And you're in a strange city with nothing. I, you'd find me curled in a ball next to the gutter, sucking my thumb, crying for mommy. 
It's like Drew on a night shift. <laughs> Sorry, but I think it it's, is not. Uh, it's, it's not that bad. I resemble that comment. <laughs> it's gotten better. Um, but no, I, I think that you bring up a great point. Is I think that we would all have a, like a monumental collapse. Whether yeah. it was a nervous breakdown, whether it was you know a, a, a month in a psych ward, like we would have a catastrophic event in, as a reaction to that. Which I cannot attest actually did or did not happen. But the story goes is that. <laughs> Zeno actually walked into a bookstore and picked up a book on philosophy. He started reading about the great philosophers before him, which was uh, Socrates and a few of the other ones, and, and became infatuated with the idea of thinking about all this cool stuff that philosophy has. So I wonder if we can apply that to people. I'm so sorry for your loss. Here's a self-help book written by Dr. Phil. Is that like the new thing that we should be doing? <laughs> Maybe that's why people like those shows. True, true. Anyways, he, he became very infatuated with the concept of, of philosophy and what goes into that. And so he started researching more, started taking lessons from other philosophers, and then eventually became to the point where he had his own students and was teaching his own, uh, his, his own concepts of philosophy. And the reason Stoicism is called what it is called is because he did things a little bit differently than what a lot of the other philosophers at the time were doing. A lot of them were in big cathedrals or big rooms where they were teaching in front of a large audience and and very theatrical in their pro- teaching. Professorial. Very professorial, which he in turn decided to do something a little different, which was hang out on the stoa, which was a giant open painted porch in the open market of Athens, and talk and teach in front of just anybody who was around. This is like the first example of flipped classroom. Kind of. Stoicism and now we're doing flipped classroom design. And I, I really like and this. And I was thinking to myself, this is Jimmy Kimmel's first version of Man on the Street. But yeah, same kind of idea. Where it's, yeah. 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 Which, you know, it's kind of a, a cool concept. So yeah. anyways, to kind of speed things up a little bit here, he, he did his thing and, and started having many students who then had more students and um, – and eventually got to some of the main people who we attribute a lot of the Stoicism today to, which is Epictetus, Seneca, and the famous Marcus Aurelius. This just became the first verse of any chapter of the Bible. Zeno begot Epictetus, begot <laughs> Seneca, begot Marcus Aurelius. Uh, you're missing about 15 names, but if we could put 15 people in there, it would be exactly true. Open, open line of every book in the Bible, that's true. So now that we got our history of like kind of where this whole thing started, let's let's actually dive into this a little bit. What is what is stoicism? And today we often use the word stoic to capture someone who is that kind of strong silent type, but the reality is is that is actually taken from the basis of the core beliefs and thoughts and, and concepts of the philosophy of stoicism. The people the the philosophy of stoicism is more like a, a the concept of someone who is calm, who is collected, who, who avoids those emotional extremes and kind of keeps things in perspective. To kind of help us figure this out a little bit, I think movie characters or TV mm-hmm. characters are a good example of that. And so a couple ideas out there. Uh, one of my personal favorite movies of all time, Casablanca, uh, the character Rick Blaine, played by Humphrey Bogart, is... How old are you? It's not about how old you are. It's about I how much you appreciate true. the amazingness of pure theatrical entertainment. Thank you for the lecture. You can't, you can't always look forward, Andy. Sometimes you have to look back. How do you know where you're going if you don't know where you came from? That's true. I'm not, yeah, you're not wrong. I just remember falling asleep every time I tried to watch this movie. That's because you're narcoleptic and you don't sleep at night. 
Exactly. And the reason I like that one is because Rick Blaine is, I mean, he's the epitome of a stoic, a stoic right? He, he's in the middle of a worn, torn country. trying to. People are trying to escape. They're trying to get places. Other people are trying to capture people and kill people. And he is just doing his jam, running a bar, trying to keep things even keeled, not choosing sides. And yet love still wins over his heart. So it's just beautiful. Um, some other potential p- people that you may know in the cinemas is Cool Hand Luke. One of the other classics, Andy Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption. Guy never yeah. gets fired up. Just yeah. One of my favorite characters and favorite movies. Oh, fantastic. Uh, some people say Spock would be a stoic. Yeah, I know. I'm not it so much on it that It doesn't one. count. He has no emotion. I don't think... So it, he's built to be stoic without the things without that cause you to not be stoic. Yeah. I would right? concur. So he without doesn't have the hijacks that allow yeah. people to, to not be able to feel... Yeah. Yeah, no, I would agree. Um, and then, and then another one from the more recent movie is Neo from the Matrix. After he has done his transcendence, right? Yeah. Like, so he's he's gone from the clueless person who doesn't know what's going on yeah. to controlling bullets and taking out all of the agents yeah. that are trying to kill him. Yeah. So when I think of stoicism, there's a movie that I think contrasts this perfectly, and it's The Rock. So you have the character Sean Connery. He's playing the guy that goes returns to Alcatraz to help defeat the guys that have taken it over. And he is calm, collected, knows exactly what he's up against, doesn't get unraveled. And then contrast that with Nicolas Cage's character, who is constantly coming unraveled at every turn. is just It's one meltdown after another. So if you, you just take the movie The Rock, which, by the way, if you have not seen it, is fantastic. Every time I inject epinephrine into somebody... For anaphylaxis, I think about the opening scene to The Rock yeah. where they're, it's actually atropine in that situation yeah. in their heart. But like, yeah. you want me to inject this where and they have this huge needle. Like spoiler There's, alert. It's the opening scene of the movie. It doesn't tell you anything else. The end scene of the movie. And the movie's 20 years old and the internet exists, so you shouldn't have it heard does, it first It does occur again at <laughs> the, towards the end of the movie, but the opening scene is much more classic for yeah. a comical oh, injection okay. of okay. something and, in your and heart. And when I thought about this, I thought about the movie The Predator where Arnold Schwarzenegger is stoic and because he's the only one that doesn't lose his brain and doesn't get killed by the Predator and everybody else who like loses their loses their crap dies so like very calm and collected people around me are being you know maimed and I'm just like where's the mud let me find some mud someone could argue that the Predator was stoic because he was shot at and was bleeding just does and, his thing yeah. just trying to hunt people yeah <laughs> Anyways, no, right. I, I love it how you bring in Clint Eastwood because I think that's a great example where classically in, in a Clint Eastwood Western, he's very just actively trying not to have an overreaction. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the first things I thought of was that kind of your classic Western hero um, who shows up in town. They do the right thing. They do. They say the nice things to the nice lady and keep on moving. All right. So part of the reason I think this is actually a valuable thing to talk about for us is because most people envision philosophy as something that you sit back and you think about, you know, did a tree fall in the forest or if a tree falls in the forest, does it make make sound sound? like that kind of stuff doesn't really help us when we're in the middle of a resuscitation. But things like stoicism actually are built for action. They're they're built to help us interpret and, and interact with our environment around us so that we can be the best possible person we are. So one of the reasons that I think that this applies to the, the idea of philosophy as an action item as opposed to a thinking item is, uh, is, was summed up very well by a modern-day philosopher. His name is Nassim Nicholas Tlaib, and he defines Stoicism as someone who transforms fear into prudence, pain into information, 
mistakes into initiation and desire into undertaking. If you notice that quote, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. It's basically saying you're, you're given something that is maybe not ideal and you turn it into something actionable that is positive. And, and that's kind of the core of what we're trying to get at here is, is there's a lot of things that stoicism allows us to address from an obstacle standpoint and turn it into something that's positive. So what is the philosophy? Let's, let's break this down a little bit. There's, a, there's two pillars of stoicism, right? And the first main pillar we're going to talk about is called the dichotomy of control. Stoics believed that everything around us in the world, universe, etc., interacted with one another. You do something over here, it's going to probably affect something over here in some form or fashion. They believe that while we don't always have control over the things around us, we do have control of us and how we react to them. And so their goal was to imagine instead of a perfect world, just the idea of trying to view the world as it is. Don't try to turn it into something that is not. And just try to pursue your own self-improvement, which will then emanate from without you and, and turn into positive influence on the rest of the world around you. Yeah, and I think this is something where I think most of us realize is that we probably all fully buy into this part of it, is that we spend a lot of time in medicine um, and in, in education where we, when we coach residents, it's you can control you. you like we can't, like we talked about the E plus, the e plus R equals O. I mean, you can't control the event. You can't control what a patient says. You can't control what a nursing does, but you can control you. And I think we all buy into this first part without even really knowing that we buy into it and that the world is a crappy place and we have to exist in here and have some form of happiness and success. So don't focus on what the world is because you can't change that. That's fine. But, 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 we can, but we can control the way we interact in that world. So I think it's something that we all equally agree in without knowing that we're part-time stoics. Sure. Yeah. And, and if you really think about it, like let's just take any patient that's coming in by a medic. What do we have control over there? We don't have control over what the patient did beforehand. We don't, know, we don't have control over how they took care of their chronic diseases beforehand. We don't have control over when they decided to call to get help. If they had called three hours earlier and their blood pressure was 100, over systolic, 100 systolic over instead of 70 systolic, that makes our jobs completely different. Um, we don't have control over how EMS interacted with that patient or how they treated them en route. When they arrive to the emergency department, we don't have any control over how the initial interactions with nursing staff or ER staff or techs go with that patient. We hope that they're going to do what we think they're going to do, but we don't know for sure if that's going to happen. We can give them guidance, we can give them advice, but we have no control over them specifically. That's part of the whole concept here is you know, just understanding that we don't have control over everything and, and being okay with that. That's the, the first main pillar here. Now, while that kind of sets up our environment, how do we handle that environment is the key, right? Like that's, those are our action items. That's, that's how we're going to interact with the stuff that's happening to us and around us. And they had the, the second main pillar we're going to be talking about is their cardinal virtues of stoicism, which are practical wisdom, justice, courage, and temperance. Breaking those down a little bit. So practical wisdom is pretty straightforward, right? You have to have the knowledge of what is good, what is right, what is bad, what is wrong, just to navigate any sort of environment you're around, right? If you don't have the knowledge, it's pretty tough to know what to do, right? Justice is the concept of knowing what the right thing to do is. Even though you may have the knowledge, if you don't know what the correct and right thing to do is, it doesn't really make much of a difference. And you also have to have that ability to acknowledge that other people may not make the correct decision 
and treat them fairly regardless of their decision-making. Courage is a physical and moral unity, right? So this is, this is the ability to stand up and do the right thing at the right time. And it's not just you know, extraordinary courage, it's everyday type stuff. It can be simply just deciding to stand up and say something. It can be deciding to get up in the morning. One of the most famous quotes that I personally really like and I think applies to, unfortunately, probably a lot of our patients is Seneca once said, sometimes even to live is an act of courage. And I think a lot of people today go through that every single day. Just waking up and living is really, really tough. I thought it was coffees for closers. Also a great quote. Okay. Just, I was confused for a minute. I, we were talking <laughs> about quotes and, 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 you know, starting her off on the right foot. And I know we've talked about it before. So, yeah. Fantastic. And then finally, temperance, right? So temperance is the exercise of self-restraint, keeping moderation in all aspects of life. You don't want to overdo things. You want to underdo things. And so when you put all of those together, it kind of creates this beautiful little balance of how you're going to approach something. You have the wisdom to know what is going on. You have the justice to know what is the right thing to do about what is going yeah. on. You have the courage to do the right thing and the temperance to make sure you do it in an appropriate manner. Not too much, not too little. Those things combined with the understanding that you don't have control over everything is the core concept of stoicism. And I think that is why, this is where we can start to really flesh out like how does this apply to us and how does this turn stoicism into something we can use as emergency physicians, as providers, as healthcare providers, as, as just humans on a day-to-day -day basis to become even better individuals for ourselves and hopefully impact the rest of the world. I know that's a little heavy, a lot of stuff kind of going on right now, but one of, the, one of the most famous analogies that we get for stoicism is the analogy of the archer. And so let's kind of like work through this a little bit and kind of talk through the process. So if we were going to shoot an arrow at a target, what do we have control over? Well, it's not the target, right? I mean, well, what if you set up the target? Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess that's true. So, yeah, the, the, the goals you have in life, whatever, yeah, that's true, you're right. So, okay. I just totally failed at getting this analogy. What yeah, but, but do you, we but, have control but over? But you have control over, there's, there's basic things you have control yeah. over, right? You, you have control over the bow and arrow itself uh -huh. yeah. while it's in your hands. And maybe even before that is like, what bow and what arrow am I going to use? Is it the right feather and uh, arrow combination in order to, to do what you want it to do? Yeah. Right, you can even take a step further farther back that you, you have control over the training that you partook in prior to even yeah. using the, the bow and arrow yeah. this time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Did sure. did I prepare properly? Am I trained properly? Yeah. Did I did I do the did I put in the effort to make myself even good at being able to do this? Right? Because I can pick up a bow and arrow right now, and to be honest with you, I don't have a whole lot of control over that <laughs> because I haven't I haven't done any work mm -hmm. to have control over bow and arrow versus yeah. somebody who is an actual archer who has spent significant time and effort into training themselves to do it, yeah. which is no different why I think I can do a little bit better in running a resus than a first-year intern or a medical student interested in emergency medicine because I have put the work into being able to do that. Yeah. I, I our think, desires might be the same, but our ability is very different. And I think that's key. I think it's easy to be stoic in scenarios that you're familiar with, and it's hard to be stoic on those that you're not. And so when that's I, when, why we practice. I'm it. actually yeah. really, yeah. really good at appearing stoic in scenarios that I'm not familiar with. Well, that's the whole like duck on the standing, pond analogy. Like me, I look great above the water, me, but they don't see my legs vigorously trying. Me to standing in the back of the recess room on my little stool, watching everything, not saying a word. People were like, "Oh, he's very stoic." No, 
Yeah. I have no effing clue what is going on with the patient right now, and I don't even know what to say. Yeah. So I'm just going to stand here. Yeah. Very, very true. But also, like, it, that says something, too, because some people would outwardly freak out. So that goes to that, like, temperance piece, too. Sure. Absolutely. Bingo. So let's get back to the archer a little bit. Yeah. So you're exactly right. We have control over various things, what kind of bow, what kind of arrow, your practice, uh, even down to right before the shot, right? Like, you have... The, uh, the control over the aim. You have control over when you're going to release the arrow, how you're, the control over your breathing, that kind of stuff. Now, what Did you happen- measure the wind? I mean, as well as the gravitational lick your finger, field hold it up you prior know, kinda, to yeah. drop some grass, see where it floats, that kind of stuff. Sure, you have How far are you shooting? That. Do you have to account for the curvature of the earth? If you have a bow that's shooting that far, yeah. you believe yeah. that the earth is round, I'm saying oh, that I gosh. do. But like, don't, don't start. <laughs> but when this came out, people didn't think the earth was round in 300 BC. Okay, fair point, yeah. fair yeah. point. Now let's let's talk about what we don't have control of. So the the minute that that arrow is released, do we have control over it anymore? No. No, absolutely not. No, and and that's where stoicism comes into effect because once is you, it a laser guided arrow? No, there's oh, is it attached to a string that it's going <laughs> to shoot down a string that I've already shot. Negative. Yeah. Ah, okay. No. No, you're right. No control. But we've now lost control of that arrow, right? But still, things can impact it. You can still have wind. You can still have the target that moves. And all of a sudden, your shot no longer is where you thought it was going to go. Now, the concept of stoicism really comes into play when we realize the outcome isn't under our control. We can do everything we can beforehand to prep and make it as close to possible as what we think is going to happen. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. And if it comes out poorly, so we miss our target, we miss our, our location that we're shooting for, getting frustrated and angry and and fired up about that may not be beneficial because we did everything we possibly could beforehand. I really want to focus on this. Let's talk about it for a second. This reminds me of the first time I lost that after a recess as a resident. Um, we had a 20-something-year-old kid come in and V-fib arrest. Maybe a family history of hokum. Uh, we, we we shocked him, overdrive-paced him, got him to the cath lab uh, for, for an emergent ICD, and the kid died. And I, for weeks could not like forgive myself for this. So I was like, we did everything, everything right. Like early intervention, it was during the day. So cardiology wasn't house. And I really had to think about it. And it was one of our night attendings came to me and said, look, like, like people die. You do everything right. People still die. And that's just an absolute truth in what we do. And so again, I did, I, I was shooting arrows at the right spot the entire day, Yeah. but the guy died. Exactly. And that's going to happen time and time again in your in your clinical career where you're going to know the diagnosis, you're going to do the right thing, and the patient's still going to have a crappy outcome. And so it's understanding and being okay with it. That's just a truth, and you have to be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I really like about stoicism as well is that it really focuses on self-improvement, right? Like instead of putting blame on other people or focusing on other things, it really just says, hey, look at yourself, how you're going to react, how you're going to interpret this. And, and that's, that's a really good way to, I think, build A, self-confidence in yourself to understand what you can and cannot do, but also B, make it a really easy, approachable thing to improve overall in the long term because you can reassess and, and, and reflect on how things went and what you can do better. And So when I think of this, what has come to mind during this conversation are two, two different concepts, but I think they blend really nicely together. So there's system one and system two thinking and decision making. And a lot of stoicism, when we're diving into this a little more, is having control of your system one and your system two thought. 
where system one being that initial few minutes of a resuscitation where you know you have to get an airway, you have to get a line, we, we algorithmically, without having to spend a lot of thought process, know what our first few steps are, but also at the same time, then being able to take a step back into system two and start doing some deep hard thoughts, thinking, hard yeah. thinking, what is actually going on, and balance those two out. We all know people that walk into a critical scenario and they are system two from the start. And they can't get anything done. They're paralyzed because of their system two thinking. We also know there are people, um, and I am probably guilty of this at times, where I'm system one for too long, where I think that I have the the, the steps pre-planned well enough in advance that I don't have to revert on to system two thinking. And so by balancing yourself out, how is my initial reaction going to be that? And then how am I going to, once I've reacted actually think through a process. And this is not just medical decision-making. This is life decision-making. You have to have a balance between system one and system two, know when to deploy which one and when to transition from one to the other. And I think stoicism has a lot to do with that and a lot to do with controlling yourself and, and being able to pull on those two systems. I also think a little bit about the concept of being a, uh, being a zero, which is walking into a situation and not trying to be a plus one from the start, not trying to be the person that has the biggest impact, makes the difference, the attention gets drawn on them, but walking into a situation where your goal is to, to have a good impact, but to have a good impact by walking in and gauging the situation, how can I be helpful without making it about me and addressing a situation truly is my initial objective is to be a zero. And by being a zero, then I can properly apply my skill set to be value added. I think that is a perfect, perfect transition. Exactly what I was going to next here, which is, you know, this is stoicism focuses on self-improvement and being that zero, not so much on self centered philosophies. This is not like I want to be a plus one, plus two, plus 25. It's, it's, you know, being somewhere in that middle zone where you can truly be the best that you can be. And that in itself will help everyone else around you. One of the one of the examples that I like to think about with stoicism uh, that's it, to me makes a lot of sense is the angry consultant. Right? It happens to us. It's going to happen in the future, and it's it's a it's a common theme that I think is is pretty easy to work through here. So let's kind of use stoicism to kind of hash out work, interaction with an angry consultant. Let's just say we get a, we're, we're calling somebody. They're angry. They are berating us. They're you know whatever whatever they're doing that's that's making us feel attacked or uncomfortable. What do we not have control over in this scenario? Their attitude. You mean, Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what they're bringing to the table. Uh, we also don't have control over their current perspective, which I think is something we, we, we devalue when we call people on the phone. Is yeah. that because we don't, like their attitude is a product of their perspective when they answer the phone. And so and we, there's really no way for us to grasp that. And so too many times we try to like will our perspective onto the consultant on the phone where it's like, no, you don't understand. And it's like, well, no, maybe they do understand. But I don't understand the system that they're currently operating in that causes them to not be able to give me what I want. Yeah, we probably yeah. don't know what their census is like. We don't know what their last patient interaction was like. They may have just been kicked at or spit at or cussed at. And they could have just gotten into a fight with their wife. Their yeah. kids running amok naked in the house, peeing and pooping on everything. Not that that's ever happened to me in the last couple of weeks. Or, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's fixed attribution error that we apply to the person we're talking on the phone. We think that everybody's in the same frame of mind that we are when we pick up the phone and say, hey, I need your help on a patient. And we have no idea, particularly on a night, on a weekend, if e even during normal business hours, they can be in the OR, they can be in their office, what situation they just walked out of to take that call. And we have zero control over it and we have zero insight into that. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's really the, the the main important point here is remember, like, even if they are treating us poorly, it does not mean that we can use that as an excuse to treat them poorly. We have to focus on use the, the stoic approach of what do we have control over. Uh, this is my favorite thing to do with an attending, or not an attending, <laughs> a consultant. My favorite thing to do with a consultant who is berating me on the phone is to simply just say nothing. It's, it's, it's priceless, right? I, I'm silent. Waiting, waiting. They berate me. Berating is over. And I say nothing in response. Eventually, they will break the silence. And typically, it's something like, hey, you still there? Or every once in a while, they go, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to come off like that. Let's start over again. But it provides that reset to the situation. It takes a lot of effort on my part to not lay right back in or to push back or whatever, but to just, just be silent. And sometimes with the residents, I get a little snarky, which is, oh, yeah, I'm still here. I was just waiting for you to tell me how long it's going to take you to come down to the emergency department and see the patient. Maybe not the right, <laughs> right snarky approach. And I tend Probably not, not to do the right follow back. Maybe but. not the right follow back. Maybe I've lost my stoicism a little yeah. bit there. But, but truly re- finding a way, finding the, the strength within myself to reset the situation and to bring that person off of whatever ledge they were on into an area where we can then proceed and have a conversation that's productive for patient care. Because that's what the goal is ultimately, yeah. right? And I think that's, that's a perfect example of how stoicism works very well in this scenario, right? So part of the reason that works is because you're using those virtues appropriately. In your mind, you've already assessed the situation, and you have the wisdom to know that you're, you're calling this consultant for the right reason. Like you, you, have, a, you have a legitimate reason that you, you need their help or their con- consultation. The justice is, is you know that it's right to consult them. It's not, you know, you're not saying, oh, I shouldn't consult them because that would be weird to consult this person in this scenario. You're saying, no, this is appropriate. Medically, it makes sense. Also, they're on call, so just justified that I call them. And, and then you have the courage to do the right thing and actually talk to them. I remember as an intern, it terrified me to talk to a consultant. And my stoicism was very poor then because I would like panic having to sit there waiting for them to call back. I remember having palpitations with certain consultants as an intern, even as a brand new attending, thinking, yes. oh, I do not want to talk to this person. Last time I talked to them, they, do, they read me the riot act. I do mean, you this remember is- like sitting down and you like you put in the, 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 the for the page and then you can't do anything. You're paralyzed. Page, like you, yeah, you're paralyzed. You won't go see another patient. You won't put any orders in. You're not documenting. All you're doing is like scrolling through the same chart that you've looked at like 50 times already, like deciding that you're going to put in the page. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. Your palms are sweaty. Exactly. Hearts pounding. And and that's part of the beauty of stoicism. Over time you start to build that courage that I am doing the right thing and this is the right thing to do and I'm going to act on that. And then the not feeding into their angriness or their tirade like Drew just stated is it, that's that's the temperance. That's the ability to say, you know what? They're having a rough day. I'm going to let them blow all their steam off or reset. Or start this over and have an actual conversation. So yeah, the, the the answer to yelling and to aggression is not to be aggressive back. The vast majority of the time, the answer is typically to let cooler heads prevail, find a way to defuse the situation, and then proceed. And I think we all have that one consult we remember where we decided to give it back, and I think we can all pretty much say it did not go well. And I and I would also say that you know part of stoicism too is like. There is going to be times where you have to give it back yeah. because for whatever reason, the other attempts haven't worked and, and it's, it's okay as long as you're doing it within the confines of trying to do the best thing that you think is possible. 
without going beyond that. Yeah. And and how you approach that? It's it's not by yelling and berating. Also, it's by exactly. firmly stating or restating your concerns, what you need out of the consultant or what you need out of the person you're talking to, why you cannot provide that. And sometimes it's also a little bit of placating to the person you're talking to. I, I understand your concerns with my, cons- my me asking you to consult. I understand this puts you in a difficult situation, but I, I can't move forward with patient care until I get your input on this, and I really appreciate that. And you can push back, yeah. but you have to know how to do it so that you're not escalating the situation, so yeah. that you're diffusing the situation. Exactly. That temperance part. Yeah. And that's that. That's always the hard part where it's like there's that fine line of... Sticking point. I've been just and courageous. And then don't let that last little thing pop out of your mouth. That you know's there. And you're like, nope, stay back there. Yeah, it feels real good to be just and courageous. It's hard to be just courageous with a good temperament. Yeah. Because sometimes that, that snarky comment at the very end just feels so good <laughs> feels when it comes so out, good. even though it just completely destroyed everything you had just done. And it feels good. And then you're just like, oh, crap. <laughs> Going to get an email from my director. All right, so we're getting a little long on time here, but I do want to play a quick game here. Okay. This is called the Stoicism Game or Stoic Thoughts Game. I just made this up right now. But I have a list of a bunch of Stoic quotes that are in front of all of us. And what I want you guys to do is just kind of read through them. And when you get to one that kind of speaks to you, read it off, and then let's just kind of talk, do a quick powwow on, on how we feel about it and, and how we think uh, that applies to what we do and, and how we live. Yeah, so I looked at these and then actually looked up other Stoic quotes because I wanted to get somebody who had been alive past like a thousand years ago, and that just didn't happen. Um, Listen, nothing good's happened in the last thousand years. Okay, this is this is where this is where it's at, man. Seneca, Cato, jeggings are a problem. Um, what? Let's let's talk about jorts if you're going to go bring up jeggings. Okay, how did we go from Cato and Seneca to jeggings? The mind, the, oh, mind goes, the mind, the mind of Andy goes, Little. They're rolling over in their grave. Uh, which, which I believe Andy actually um, it's quote takes two. me to a quote that says, "I begin to speak only when I'm certain what I'll say isn't better left unsaid." Man, which I that was a really, softball I gave Drew. Which, which I truly like that quote to begin with. But man, you just lofted that up for me to to point and hit the home run. With. Oh man, I do really like that one a lot. And kind of what you said earlier in a recess, you know. If if you what you're going to say is going to be detrimental, it's not going to help anybody. But if you know it is certain and is true, and it's going to help the scenario, then absolutely. And sometimes that may just be voicing your thoughts on what your next steps are going to be, because that is helping everyone communicate on next steps of what's going to happen if things go like this and etc. So yeah, that's a great quote. Yeah, to me, the one that really sticks home was because I feel this way a lot in the way I teach and the way I interact with with patients is is that if anyone can refute me, show me I'm making a mistake looking at things from the wrong perspective, I'll gladly change. It's the truth I'm after, and the truth never harmed anyone. And I feel like this is a really good foundational quote that is providers and is um, practitioners of emergency medicine, a field that despite being 50 years old is ever-evolving. But I think that this is a great way to look at it, that it's okay to pivot when you know something's better and when you know something's right, when what you've been doing is wrong. And having that ability to be able to be like, you know what, you're right. I mean, I still remember to this day an argument I had with a resident as a, as a new attending about the way I wanted to handle vent management for asthmatics and the way I learned it. And then we looked at the data and I was like, I'm wrong. Just do it your way. And then like, but and having that mentality, that growth mindset when the way we look at this is important. And as a student, having a teacher that's like that is and like totally priceless. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, I'm always open to if somebody can give me a better way, better thought, better idea, like accept it. And, yeah, sometimes that's hard. It's a tough pill to swallow occasionally, but um, you know, being open-minded to someone else may know more than you is is always a really, really good approach. I, I basically that's how I lived our entire chief year with Drew. I just basically looked at him and said, hey, "You know more than me. You're a lot older." <laughs> a lot grayer, a lot less hair. Like nothing, nothing related to wisdom in that situation. Yeah, only seven hundred and like fifty days older than you, but still older. Uh, I think Maybe it's a few more than that, that actually. Yeah. But that's cool. I appreciate I appreciate the vote of confidence in it. <laughs> and the actual statistical analysis we're going into here on yeah. on age. Yeah, another one that really rings true to me is um, a little bit as a as faculty teaching students and residents, but with life in general, is be tolerant of others and strict with yourself. It's a motto I try to live by in a lot of ways, which is that I, I am very hard on myself. I hold myself to very high standards. I expect a lot out of myself. I expect a lot out of others also, but I am much more tolerant of those around me um, than I am with myself. And it's something that I also have to remind myself of a lot, particularly with my family, that I can't have a hard day at work and bring those emotions home and not be tolerant to my kids and my wife um, because it's very easy to be intolerant in those situations. So finding the way to be tolerant regardless of where I am at, and that does require a lot of um, practice and me be very strict and firm with myself. Yeah. Uh, the other one that kind of r- rung true was the circumstances don't make the man. They only reveal him to himself. Because I feel like that's so true that so many times like, We'll go into a situation thinking, like, I got this. And then it doesn't go the way you wanted or it didn't happen the way you wanted it. And you learn a lot about, like, and then you go back and reflect on it. And usually it didn't go the way you wanted because you didn't go the way you wanted. You didn't act the way you thought you should. You acted differently than you normally do. And you let something else factor into where it, this allows you to be very self-reflective on the idea that when things aren't going your way, it could be you're just not doing the right things that, to make it go your way. I should probably do a statistical analysis and the number of times I say, oh, I got this, no problem. When in fact, I don't <laughs> got it at all. Got it at all, and it becomes a problem because yeah. typically those are like the famous last words, like "Oh yeah, no, I can get that LP, no problem. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you never, what I ain't gonna get." Never said those. Is words. that is that LP right? <laughs> it ain't gonna get done. That's right. Yeah. I guess one that jumped out to me was take some of your own time for yourself too, um, and I think that that's like big with my classmates and stuff. I mean, we get into the pigeonhole of oh, study for boards, study for boards, like we got to study for class and then you see people that are completely just burnt out and drained and they just have nothing left and they, and then they end up taking it out on other people. And that is the opposite of stoicism. Well, um, yeah. So yeah, definitely just take and, and I think that's key where if you're listening to this, when was the last time you woke up with the sole purpose of doing nothing but doing what you wanted to do? And again, I, I'm, I'm a father what, of four. What are you talking about, fool? I got a job. I got a wife. I got kids. I got you guys. There ain't no time for me. Well, but that's the whole point. Is like, I mean, as, as a as a dad of four and a wife and a husband yeah, no, and a no, wife, no, no. like it's just. It's, but but imagine that. Like, if no, you, you would can't just wake think, up. There's no way to wake up and have nothing to do. But you, in fact, I would argue that that's a bad thing. If the only thing you had to do was focus on you, because that means you've lost perspective in life. Drew now didn't, I Drew do, didn't let me finish. No, I do agree. No. Well, no, because you said the only thing you have to do that day is is you. But I was going to dovetail on the idea that it's important to maybe not be that self-centered. I went back to dovetail. But it's important to think about when was the last time you did something for yourself? When was the last time you said, you know what? I can spend that four hours studying. I really just need to go outside. One of the philosophies of Stoicism that they talk about a lot is the short time period we have. Yeah. And how... If you waste that time worrying about 
other things you can't control and and not taking time for yourself is detrimental to your happiness, which then is detrimental to the people around you. And I think that's that's kind of what you're going at there is you have to take time for yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, you won't be happy, yeah, which I, means the people around you are not going to be happy yeah. with interactions with you. It turns into a, 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 a trickle effect, trickle down effect of, of terribleness. Yeah. Well, it goes with the classic story of death of a salesman. I mean, he died alone in a hotel room with no personal relationships. And when we, and not that I want to get gloomy, but when we all passed, like I wanted to be a party. We're going to celebrate Tanner and how great he was, and not the, not why the blog you, post. Why did you ran. say when? Do you want me to say when you died? When no, we did, like, you, you, the pile you, on the you fact were making that, it about yourself for a minute, and then you, and then, and then Tanner's no, died. I, I, like, got all, <laughs> I got all, I got all, I got all clumped again. But, but the idea that like when we die, it needs to be a party. It needs to be a party of the things we did for people, and not the yeah, check so, so, celebration did. of life yeah. and success. Yeah. You were so much more uh, philosophical because I was going to go with Fat Bastard. Oh, I'm unhappy because I'm fat and I'm fat because I'm unhappy. Oh, who am I kidding? Get in my belly. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is from Seneca. It's accept what is necessary with a calm spirit. And, and to me, that one is something that is so useful on a day-to-day basis. Every single shift I work. Because you're going to have stuff that is going to happen because it's necessary. It's not, maybe not your first choice. It may not be your tenth choice, but it has to be what happens. And you just got to take it and be calm. So, Tanner, where do we go from here? You've, this has been a great discussion about stoicism. What's the next step? So, really, the next step is taking this to a level where you actually are are thinking about it more frequently. And there's some really great resources out there that we'll have on our show notes as well as some potential other options you can do in terms of exercises. So one of the exercises that some of the famous Stoics, specifically like Marcus Aurelius and, and Seneca, are very famous for, um, Marcus Aurelius's uh, main book that people will talk about is uh, Meditations. Essentially, it's just his journaling. He sat down and he journaled his thoughts and his concepts, which were all very Stoic-like in, in format. And one of the, the processes to help with developing a stoic philosophy within yourself is to just sit down and take time to process what is going on around you. Write down what you have control over, what you don't have control over, stoic quotes that speak to you and why they speak to you. Like take that time to write it down because that's going to help ingrain these thoughts and concepts and ideas within you so that when you do have an active problem or obstacle that's put in front of you, you already have pre-thought through some of this. And then one of the other things that I think is actually a really beneficial thing is is a discussion on worry. Take note, the next time you're worried about something, whether it's something in your personal life, your work life, relationships, reflect on if you have control over what you're worried about. If you do, you can address it. But if you don't, why are you wasting your time worrying about it? One of the things that actually kind of uh, made, what, one of the examples I think about is my wedding day was uh, amazing, but it was also scheduled for an outdoor uh, event. And just so happens that it turned out to be the hottest day on record it was hot. ever. Oh, man, it was hot. My white shirt turned into a um, see-through shirt very, very quickly that day. Well, it, it, was, it was tough because you just ran out of water. That's all that's all yeah. our stuff. But like the reality was is we saw this coming days ahead of time, right? Not a darn and, thing you can do about it. 
and I, I actually was internally extremely worried because I thought my wife was going to be really worried and then it was going to turn into a thing and what are we going to do? Are we going to have to buy a new like venue last minute and just put a you know, bunch of people in a giant town hall with no decorations like going through all this stuff when in reality I, I talked to my wife and she goes, I mean, it is what it is. Let's do the best we can. And it was like the perfect stoic response, right? Like you can't change the weather, but you can change how you react to it. Yeah. And you know what? It may have been a little crazy that day in terms of heat, but I saw some bare-chested men walking around. I saw a lot of people getting their their legs. It was uh, a heck of a time. Their was, legs wet yeah. in the river nearby or the creek. Um, yeah. Whether they were pulling up their their dress or pulling up their pants, like people were finding ways to keep cool, and it was a fun time. Also, very memorable. Every single person I talked to, I'm like, man, I will never forget your wedding. So, uh, you it's know, amazing. beneficial at at that. So, we're. Learning how to deal with worry and interpret that is, is another important exercise. So to kind of wrap things up, you know, I, I think stoicism is a really, really good approach, especially for people doing the job that we do, which is high stress, high stakes, and, and realizing what we can control, what we can't control. Uh, hopefully this is valuable. If you guys need more information on how to get more into this, there's plenty, plenty of blog posts, podcasts, books that we'll have on the show notes, and, uh, and feel free to reach out anytime about it. Tanner, thanks so much for bringing up this topic. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for sticking with it. For those of you listening, don't forget to follow us on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on our newly redone blog site, gameovereasy.com. Constantly improving (laughs) blog (laughs) sites. There we go. All right, thanks, everybody.